GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. I hope you're well. We'll be joined in a few minutes by Leslie Brousson, the Minister for Industrial Relations, Civil Contingencies and Sport. His constituency area is the east side and Catalan Bay. And we'll be speaking to Action for Housing, which says Gibraltar needs more accommodation for people living in squalid conditions. Henry Bina joins us after the pressure group's first meeting with the new Minister for Housing, Pat Orfila. That's on the way soon. But first, we're reporting on a few stories relating to the Chief Minister's visit to London. Firstly, he met the Foreign Secretary. Lord Cameron said that he remains confident a Gibraltar Treaty is achievable and can deliver for everyone in the region, on the rock and in the campo. Also present at the meeting were the Deputy Chief Minister Joseph Garcia and the Europe Minister Leo Doherty. Lord Cameron said that the UK, with Gibraltar, has presented proposals to secure future prosperity for the whole region that maintain the balance of the political framework agreed with Spain in December 2020. That's the latest on the treaty. Fabian Picardo also answered questions from a committee in the House of Commons. We said yesterday that he would discuss our constitutional relationship with Britain. What specific questions was he asked and how did he do? Well, the session was broadcast live by GBC and Radio Gibraltar Plus and Christina Cortez followed it for us. Christina. As you say, the Chief Minister answered questions on territorial constitution and the session was looking at options for overseas territories' representations within Commons proceedings. Um, and the Chief Minister said uh, Gibraltar feels it's an integral part of the UK family of nations, but he did highlight that there's no formal avenue for representation of Gibraltar's interests in the UK Parliament, just the fact that individual MPs tend to take an interest, such as those who make up the all-party parliamentary group, and then they then sort of uh, pass that interest on to others, but there's no direct representation. And uh, what Fabian Pigardo said was that uh, he wanted all British citizens in overseas territories to have representation in the UK Parliament. Okay, so um, basically the UK have the power to make laws in Gibraltar. Um, It's part of the Gibraltar constitution. And what he's saying is if, if, uh, if you're allowed to make laws in Gibraltar, then we should be allowed to influence what laws are made or how. He was pointing Directly. out that you know these are British citizens without a say in what he called the, the mother of, uh, of of all parliaments. Um, I believe we have a, a clip of him. If you're asking us whether we think we as British citizens, resident on British soil, should be represented in the mother of all parliaments that retains the right uh, to determine issues as existentially important to Gibraltar as external relations, defence and internal security. Um, well, you know, frankly, the only answer you're going to get is yes. And if you, if you ask us the question, don't expect us to say anything other than yes. And he, he did point out what he called an anomaly, and it's something that might be of interest to many. So the present UK government has changed the rules on voting and their votes for life policy. And it means that any British citizen who's lived in the UK before can register to vote regardless of how long ago you lived there. So uh, Fabian Picardo pointed out that there have been over 7,500 scholarships uh, in Gibraltar and that's a lot of graduates 
who might now be able to vote in uh, in elections, in, in general elections in the UK. But he did point out this would create a sort of skewed demographic of who would be able to, to have a say. And of course, those Gibraltarians will be split among the different constituencies of where they studied or where they lived and uh, worked. Um, one MP put it to the Chief Minister, Gibraltar sort of wants to have it both ways in his view, that Gibraltar wants to maintain self-governance on its own issues, but also be able to vote uh, in the UK's. And Mr. Bigarro did acknowledge the complexity of that, but pointed out that that's uh, what the session of the committee was looking at. The balance has to be a fine one between having representation on those areas where we are not autonomous and having um, no representation, or at least not voting on, areas where we are not expecting you to vote for us. I mean, again, I'll, I'll be very clear with you. I think this is the opening of Pandora's box and finding the right balance between those two is not easy. To an extent, you have an element of that in the context of the devolved parliaments. So there is a window into how you might do it with the overseas territories, given your wish to analyse whether you could do it with the overseas territories, which is what the committee has asked for our evidence on. So the session touched on some other points as well, such as the reserve powers the UK has over Gibraltar, uh, which the Chief Minister says in his view should, does not do not exist in an untrammeled way unless there's a very clear British foreign policy issue that Gibraltar is failing to abide by. And then there were the logistics of representation, for example, the question of one MP for all overseas territories, which uh, you know was pointed out that overseas territories vary greatly in their views on different issues. And then whether Gibraltar should be part of the Lords instead, whether that should be the representation rather than Commons. Um, the conclusion, that was one of the last questions, and uh, the Chief Minister said that was just as devilishly complicated as the other options. So basically a consultation, teasing out some of the issues and troubleshooting some of the potential ways it could be approached, but of course nothing conclusive at this stage. I, th- I imagine that the representation in Westminster movement um, will be pleased with the Chief Minister's comments because they collected mm. some 14,000 signatures in favour of representation um, during 2018 and 2019. And uh, before I let you go, Christina, I, I did watch the session and I thought that um, one of the MPs in particular got or tried to get under Mr. Picardo's skin a bit. He was interrupting him quite often. Yes, I believe that might have been James Gray, the Conservative MP. Yes, and these sessions can get a little bit heated at points, and I think that was a, a case where where that happened a, a, a little bit, and he was uh, testing the, the patience somewhat. But, uh, you know, it's it's a question-and-answer session, and... Uh, a little That's bit of it, it makes for good television as <laughs> yes. well, I guess. But um, yeah, he, Mr. Bigarro managed to maintain his cool and answer the questions, get to the substance eventually. Uh, right, thanks for bringing us up to speed, Christina Cortez. Thank you. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're going to catch up with one of Gibraltar's new government ministers now. Leslie Rousson is the Minister for Industrial Relations, Civil Contingencies and Sport. His constituency is the East Side and Catlin Bay. So if you've got a, a question for him, you're in time between now, uh, well, now in the next 10 minutes, more or less, I think we can take questions. Um, and we're on 266 200. If you'd like to send them via WhatsApp or call them in, it would be great to hear from you. And um, good afternoon to you, Mr. Brusson. How have your first few months been as a government minister and as a member of parliament? Hi, Jonathan. Uh, it's been a bit crazy to say the least. It's a brand new job, just uh, undertaking the biggest uh, job interview anyone could ever undertake. And uh, obviously it's a pleasure and an honour, but uh, yeah, still uh, still learning the ropes. Claro, and I suppose it'll be that way for a while, no? <laughs> I but, think uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so when you were told what your responsibilities would be, how did you then prepare to, to, take, to take those on? Uh, 
Well, the main one was sports and leisure. And uh, I was lucky enough to have Steve Linares as my uh, election agent. He was still acting uh, Minister for Sport at the time. So whenever I had meetings and so on with different associations, he would come along and he would brief me on on different sporting associations and what the requirements were. As far as most of the others, like the Fire Brigade, for example, I mean, both Colin and Nikki from the GFRS and AFRS are fantastic. Iva from Industrial Relations, uh, sorry, civil, civil, con- civil contingencies, contingencies yeah. uh, the GSLA, Regan and Matt, they, they run the show, so... It's easy to work with them. Okay, so so you've uh, you, you've had those meetings where you've got to know the, the sort of top public officials in, in each of those departments. No? I, I meet them very very regularly. Okay, and relationship with them positive? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again with the with the fire brigade, both Colin and Nikki, I'm in contact with them all the time. Regan is in my office uh, most days. Uh, there's always something happening. Industrial relations are in. In, in, in the office with us, so again, on a daily basis. And uh, civil contingencies, I, I hold frequent meetings with with, with Ivo and the rest of the team. Okay, um, you mentioned industrial relations there. How would you characterise your relationship with the trade unions? That's an interesting one because, obviously, coming from a union background myself, it's, it's uh, I think it's very helpful, actually, because... You know the union, you know the individuals. And obviously, there's a difference between your professional... Uh, and your friendship, you know, your work and friendship. But I think it helps a lot because we know each other and we know what our what our lines are and, and, and it makes it easier for the members at the end of the day to to conclude uh, whatever that they may need uh, quickly. Do you meet them often? As often as, as, as they need to. I mean, there's always something, uh, uh, some claims or allowances or whatever. So there's always things happening. But no, any any very significant issues in hand at the moment? Um, with industrial relations, very, very no, no, just the normal day to day. We had uh, we had the bus strike not so long ago, just before the general election, and we've had a, a question in from Katie, who's wondering uh, if there's any update on the bus driver situation following their strike. She says she may have missed uh, the latest uh, announcements, but um, c- can you just tell us if that's been resolved, and if so, how? The main issues, as far as I'm concerned, have been resolved. But this is being led on by the Chief Minister directly, so he's the one that will have to answer that question. Okay, we're talking to the Minister for Industrial Relations, Civil Contingencies and Sport, Leslie Rousson, who will be with us for the next little while. If you've got a question for him, we're on 266 200. Um, How did you prepare for... Talk to us a little bit about your first session in Parliament as a a government minister. How did you prepare for the question and answer session? (laughs) So the question and answer session is, there's there's two parts to it. So you have the written questions, which you get before Parliament, so you get to prepare for them. But you've got to be very good at trying to read between the lines and preempt what the real question is, because quite often they already know what the answer is. But you've got to try and be savvy and work out what it is that they're trying to take. Uh, to take you with it. So you've got to try and preempt the the supplementaries and be ready for them. So it's a, it's a very interesting. Uh, so so you've got to like read between the lines and Absolutely. think, okay, they've asked me A, but the supplementary, the follow-up questions right. are going to be B, C and D. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you've got to get ready for those. Yeah.
That's interesting. So it is a bit of a game then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and did you enjoy it? I mean, you know, you, you sort of... Um, I, 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 I don't know, like, I, I think for some people it might be a, a bit a, a bit of a, an intimidating theatre, no? You're live, you're, you're answering sensitive definitely, questions. Definitely. But I'm one of those who, even as a teenager, I'd be listening to, to Parliament on the radio, my, my earphones on and whatever. My kids used to make fun in the car with Mr. Speaker type thing. So... Now I'm actually in it. I'm a part of it, so it's a, it's a very proud moment for me uh, to be to be in Parliament. And the processes of themselves of you know what you can say, how far you can go, well, all that sort of thing. You, Madam you... Speaker is on is on us all the time. We can't get away with anything, which is very very good. Very and, and, and are you uh, are you sort of do you feel up to speed, or do you feel that you're still sort of learning the ropes? I mean, as long as you know your subject matter, whether it's sports or sports, whatever it is, you 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 don't need to worry about it because. It's, because whatever they ask you, you know, or you should know uh, where you are. But again, the supplementaries are what you've got to be careful with and uh, what they try to cut you out. Okay, um, what about outside Parliament? How are you approaching your ministerial work? How are you organising your average day? What am I, my diary is always full. Uh, so it's not only a meeting with the different sporting associations and federations and so on but sometimes it's actually going out like you know the GSLA for example going out and meeting the people there at work and just having a chat with them and so on so there's a lot of uh, a lot of I wouldn't say socialising but certainly a lot of meeting people face to face and not just sitting in the office behind the desk I think that's very very important Okay, let me ask you uh, about um, civil contingencies. Mm -hmm. You're responsible for that. Um, tell us a little bit about how much work goes in to preparing for the exercises, sort of like the behind-the-scenes organising um, to, to prepare for different eventualities. Well, as you can imagine, uh, Ivo is a retired, retired colonel from the Gibraltar Regiment, and so he, he, he runs civil contingencies to military position He's he's on everything. It's incredible. Uh, when whenever there's an exercise, he he just comes beforehand and briefs you in every single detail how everything is gonna how everything is planned. It's incredible to see how how people like him run civil contingencies and the rest of the team. Uh, it's it's amazing. Um, so the, the fire and rescue service comes mm -hmm. under you. Um, We've got a question that's come in from Andrew. Uh, Andrew says, what's the latest on acquiring high-rise rescue assets, given um, that there are a lot of high-rise buildings on the east side now? Yeah, uh, okay. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I am aware that the GFRS have been requesting certain equipment for high-rise buildings. Uh, it's We have put it into this year's... Uh, budget and we're hoping that it'll get approved and we can and we can move forward with that another question from andrew who says that uh, in the previous gslp liberal manifesto there were plans to close the two small tunnels that lead into camp bay for pedestrians and reroute via parsons lodge is that still on the cards do you know i am not aware of that at all no it's not really something that mm, you have responsibility mm, for no no, no. Okay, uh, let me ask you uh, about um, the cabinet meetings that you have with your other uh, government ministers. What's the ambiente like in the GSLP Liberal cabinet at the moment? The ambiente, well, as you can imagine, the, both the chief minister and deputy chief minister, they are, uh, they are always working and they're always on top of everything. 
so it is serious. Uh, but I'm luckily, luckily enough, I'm sat between Nigel and and, and Christian, so there's always a bit of a giggle here and there. But <laughs> other than that, it's uh, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, short time frame because four years seems like a long like a long time, but the months just fly by. So uh, very serious when it comes to what needs to be done, and how we're going to get there. Yeah, you said in at uh, the start of the program that uh, we are 108. I believe it's 108 days. Yeah. Um, and and I I think loosely speaking we're um, about f- almost four months no not not quite almost four months we'll but but there. once well yeah once we get to four months then we'll have um, we'll be a, a quarter of uh, basically a sixteenth of the way through your term in office already which you know like as you say like time flies no it's it's frightening and I mean again you're so busy Monday to Friday and sometimes even weekends that uh, weeks just merge into each other and you have meetings and, and it's it's non-stop and you've always got to be looking back at your last meeting with, with that particular individual or group of individuals or whatever and, and it's, it's just constant and as a consequence of that uh, yeah, it's 108 days and it seems like yesterday So how, given uh, how, how time flies and, and how much there is to do how do you go about prioritising the different manifesto commitments? Right, so obviously a lot of emphasis is given, especially in cabinet, to manifesto commitments. Uh, so we look at sports, for example, we've got manifesto commitments for new hockey pitch, we've got manifesto commitments for paddle tennis, we've got manifesto commitments for netball and so on. There's a few others. But there are other things which come up on a day-to-day basis, uh, which you have to be dealing with. And some some of them are quite significant. To be honest, I, I lose or I wake up at night more often than not thinking about things which are not in the manifesto and things that are in the manifesto. So right. it's always things that you've got to be... Be- why? Because the stuff that's in the manifesto is more visible? And, and, and the you're... stuff in the manifesto, you know, that is, is, is being dealt with. It's being dealt by you, being dealt with by the GSLA, whoever it is. So, you know, you're just overseeing. But then there are things that come up uh, along the way, which you have to be it's, you know, on top of, and sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, let's unpack one or two of those uh, sporting commitments. Mm-hmm. As Minister for Sport, you mentioned their plans for new paddle tennis courts. I remember uh, at the election, uh, talk of uh, you know these being the right orientation to make <laughs> sure funny. that the sun um, was minimally impacting. Um, but but um, yeah, for somebody who who sort of um, didn't see those plans, uh, tell us a little bit about them. Where, where are these courts going, and and what sort of time frame do you expect them to be built to? So okay, before the elections, there were certain plans that have been drawn up for netball, for paddle tennis and a few other things. Uh, some of those plans are back on the drawing board. So it is happening, but there might be some movement as to what goes where. So Venetian plans were to have two extra paddle courts next to where they are now. There is a possibility that the paddle courts might go somewhere else and the home, the home of netball consequently might move to another location. I am in constant contact with the Paddle Association and with Netball, so they are fully aware of everything that's been looked at and how and why. Uh, so we're working together on all these plans. So this is a bit like um, Gibraltar's a small place, managing the land is like a bit of a jigsaw puzzle and, and you're just trying to make sure that it is. Y- you maximise what's available. It is, but for someone like me it's also very difficult to, to, to understand why some things take as long as they do. So, you know, I'm the kind of person that if I want a, 
quote for something, I'd rather have it, uh, you know, within a couple of weeks. And these things take a lot of time. So consequently, uh, it can be a bit frustrating. Uh, so the home of netball then is also contingent on the plans for paddle tennis. Right, so the home of netball is a bit complex in that we have now in March, for example, we have uh, a, a big tournament happening in Gibraltar. Is March the big one or is March no. the, the, that's, that's the trial run? No. March, March, March is, the, is the test event and then the big one happens uh, the end of, towards the end of 2025 and that is very, very big. So uh, the the home of netball itself doesn't have that much of a bearing in the tournament itself because the tournament will be played between the Europa Sports Park and the Tisantinery. But obviously we have to time it properly so that we're not in construction during the time of, of the big event. Okay, um, on sport, we're asking, we've been asked by Mel for an update on the trust at Europa Point <laughs> and, and what's happening there. Uh, well, there's not much I can say at the moment because there's still uh, lots of things happening, lots of ideas, lots of meetings. But, I mean, I am hopeful. I said this two weeks ago, but I'll say now I'm hopeful that in the next couple of weeks we'll have some kind of uh, clear plan as to how we're going to go with this and, and where we, we, we aim to be. But at the moment, I'd rather not comment too much on it. And uh, in your capacity as Minister... Um, with responsibility or constituency responsibility for the east side and Catalan Bay. We've got a question about Devil's Tower Road. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it qualifies, but you can tell me. Uh, it's um, Kieran, who's a resident of Beachview Terraces. Okay. And uh, he says, like many who live in the area, uh, I feel uncomfortable when walking along Devil's Tower Road with young children. Um, are there any plans to install railings along Devil's Tower Road, um, and he's sent us a photograph of a bus travelling, and he says, you know, close to 50 kilometres an hour, which is the speed limit, just centimetres from the pedestrian footpath. Uh, and I think for anybody who's moved in that area on foot uh, recently, I think that they can identify with what Kieran is saying, that it, it, it feels less than safe, and yeah. hopefully we're not going to wait for an accident. No? no, I mean, obviously we never wait for an accident, we always try to avoid them. Uh, it's not something that's been brought to my attention before, but I'll happily, I've just made a note here and possibly pass it on to my colleague, John Cortes, uh, for traffic and transport and, and see if we can look into it and see what we can do. So how, how does how does it work? I mean, you, you have, like, you're, you're like a filter for the east side and, and Caleta, but then it depends on who's responsible for... Yeah. Sometimes, the ministry, no? sometimes it can get a bit complicated, but uh, yeah. Uh, so if I go to Catalan Bay, I mean, I'm having a meeting there. I think it's next, either later on this week or, or, or next week. I can't remember right now. Uh, so whatever they bring to my attention, there are things that I will be able to deal with directly. And there are other things which I'll have to contact uh, my, my, my colleagues. Uh, so, for example, the, the, there's a visit later on this week. Uh, uh, Nigel Fitam is going to Laguna as a member of parliament, as you know, representing Laguna. Uh, Pat is coming along as Minister for Housing, and I'm going as well as Minister responsible for the parks. So, you know, it's, trying to address well, a few different issues. Absolutely, huh? absolutely. So we go together and, and we work as a team. Okay, uh, a bit of a sideball, but uh, did you catch <laughs> the Chief Minister in the House of Commons yesterday? Unfortunately, I only 
got the last 10 minutes, so I'm hoping to catch up on GBC. Catch up on GBC is, is the right answer. Um, all right, and, and what were your impressions? Well, as always, I mean, uh, what can I say? On the ball, uh, it's it's. I, I actually enjoy listening, whether it's in Parliament or or, or, or like this. I always in, enjoy listening to the Chief Minister. I used to enjoy uh, the battles in, in, in Parliament between him and, and Sir Peter and... and, and and even Peter Danny Peter. Uh, that's right. So yeah, I, it's fantastic. It's brilliant. He, he he's <laughs> a confident orator. No? Absolutely, and it's, it's it's not just about confidence. It's about actually really knowing your stuff, because you know you can you can say whatever you want, but he knows his stuff inside out. And um, before I let you go, can you just give us some insight into? Uh, I mean, you've mentioned a few of the things that are, you're currently working on, and some of the things that you can't talk about at this moment <laughs> in time. But um, anything else that you'll be focusing on in the in the coming weeks and months? Coming weeks and months, uh, we've got uh, seven new pool lifeguards coming up. Uh, hope I believe next week. So the Lathbury Barracks pool will now be open. Uh, seven days a week from early in the morning to, to I think from 7.30 in the morning to 10 at night, I believe it is. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, we've got uh, some... Uh, has the matter of the uh, cafe been resolved up there? Or? Actually, I've got an, e- an email today uh, with a draft. Uh, obviously, we're going out to expressions, expressions of interest and land property services have sent me today a draft of that. So I've got to look into it and... Uh, liaise obviously with uh, more, more people are going to be Pero, there than yeah 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 it's, 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 as I said it is happening as we go along I, 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 you know yeah oh, sorry so I, I interrupted you the pool and, and, and anything else uh, the pool we've got uh, a big uh, I think the, the press release that have just come in now whilst we're here about uh, plans for the uh, pitch at the Europa Sports Park uh, that's going to be renewed uh got to get a new pitch there new lighting during may so there's loads of things happening obviously we're getting ready for for, for march for the netball tournament so there's, there's it's keeping me busy on radio gibraltar and on gbc television gibraltar today with jonathan scott government plans for a new accommodation building at europa point are reportedly being parked this according to Action for Housing. The block was set to house up to 256 key workers, people considered homeless and men who need accommodation following marital breakdown. Action for Housing's Henry Biener joins us now. Um, you've met the... Good afternoon, Mr Biener. And good afternoon. You've met the new housing minister for the first time and this was one of the points you discussed. That's right. I mean, um, as we always do when we have a new um, housing minister, we met recently with Pat Orfila. Uh, the point of our meeting is really, first of all, to delineate or uh, set out or map out what the differences are, um, points on which we can agree, points on which we agree not to agree, and uh, start a relationship, um, and not only with her, but also with the officials that we've met. I mean, that is always beneficial because we're going to have an ongoing uh, dialogue, uh, communication. We want to know whom we're talking about and with whom, and they likewise. And how do you characterise the the meeting, the the tone? The tone was very positive. Um, I mean, we've been able... I mean, we we did present a 10-point agenda. Obviously, we cannot go through the whole agenda here because of lack of time. 
but I would, I would like to highlight some of the points. For example, uh, the minister has agreed to accompany us on a tour to see how badly some people who live in the private sector live live in uh, the, the appalling living con- uh, conditions. Uh, we are disappointed, obviously, at the question of the uh, hostel. This was first announced way back in October 2020 by the previous uh, housing uh, minister. He said that uh, a, three, a 250-bed uh, hostel would be built at the uh, site of the MOT. This was later changed to it being built at um, Europa Point, and now it's been parked. Um, for us, parked means that it will not be built. It, it's not a priority, no? Not a priority. So I don't think it will be built, and we need it, because, you know, uh, women women do have a halfway house uh, for when they have, uh, you know, they become uh, homeless. But uh, we don't have such a facility for, for men, and uh, we've been clamoring for that now for many years. So um, another positive um, well, uh, point uh, in the if meeting... I, if I may, before yeah. we continue, Mr. Bina, uh, where are those uh, people that, uh, that you feel would have been helped by this accommodation block at Europa Point? Where are those people living now? Well, look, I mean, in Gibraltar you don't see um, people sleeping rough as you do in any other place. You know, you go to Madrid, you go to London, Paris, and you see people sleeping rough. Here they don't, because we are a very small community, and it's always, you know, uh, family members or friends who will take these people into their, their homes until eventually they are given a flat, but that might take years. And in the meantime, they are homeless, although they have a roof over their heads. They are technically homeless. They don't have yes. a home of their own. No, they don't. They don't. Um, the other point we've raised in the meeting was the question of the uh, reviewed um, Housing Act, which has been in the making now for the past four years. The previous housing minister promised us that we would have sight of it before being taken to the parliament. Uh, that promise uh, still holds. And the uh, present minister said that she would be allowing us to have a look at it with ample time before it goes to the to the uh, parliament. So that's good. That's uh, a good a good news. And uh, just by way of reminder, this is the legislation that governs, um, among other things, the uh, tenancy agreements. That's right. It covers a whole range of issues under the housing umbrella. So. Um, We'll need time to... I mean, we did make representations when it was first announced four years ago, and uh, we want to see whether these have been incorporated or changed or neglected. Or So we, we would need at least a couple of weeks in order for us to have um, a good look at the uh, Act. And the hope is that the new Housing Act could address some of the structural issues that are contributing to urban decay in different parts of Gibraltar, but especially in, in the old town? We we hope so. We did make such uh, recommendations, but uh, we don't know whether these have been incorporated or not. We've also agreed with the minister uh, because they, they are planning to do what they call a self-help scheme, which would involve um, old, dilapidated, uh, government-owned flats um, to make them uh, habitable again. So we have volunteered to go out on a tour and uh, try and identify some of those which might have escaped the attention of the of the officials. So we know that is our, our contribution to this scheme, and then we'll see how it works out. I suppose um, 
those who are looking for um, accommodation themselves, looking for the government to help them, have a, a particularly keen awareness of the properties in that area, and they talk to you. No, so you, you, you'd have sort of a not necessarily no, because some of them are so sort of hidden away and so neglected that I think very few people would know where they are. Uh, we know because we we do our scouting and we we look around and we identify them. So that is why we, we I think we can contribute to, to identifying and helping government in this way. Because we've heard Ms. Orfila say that it's very important that uh, that there not be empty flats owned by the government, that they go to people who need them. And, and... Yes, absolutely. Mm. But I mean, having said all that, you know, unless government is prepared and willing and uh, they do comply with the promise to construct housing for rental, which they said they would in the uh, manifesto, um, the the back of the housing problem will not be resolved. Um, at the moment, and this has been now the situation for a long time, demand exceeds supply. And unless the government embarks on a project to construct a number of flats for rental, uh, the situation will not improve in a significant way. Uh, we did ask the minister whether she has any plans now, whether the government has any plans now to start constructing. She didn't say anything about the matter. I mean, it, she hopes it will be done. Well, they said that, that they would be doing it. It's a promise, it's an election a, promise. It's a manifesto a commitment. But the clock is ticking and uh, you don't uh, build a, an estate in a couple of years. It would take at least three years. So they would have to start building quite soon and we would know we, we would like to know how many flats are going to be built uh, and uh, and where because land is also very scarce so uh, we're waiting for this to happen if nothing happens then we shall get back to government and remind them of their of the promise and of all the uh, different um, sort of solutions that you've discussed with the housing minister, do you think that constructing more government rental housing um, has the biggest promise and could make the biggest difference to Gibraltar's housing challenges? That would make the biggest difference, yes. I mean, being able to identify old properties which can be um, incorporated into the scheme, that will help, but um, we need something much better wider and bigger than that we need we need a number of homes for rental which haven't been built now for many years and you know, i think it was the previous government other than other than of course um, um flats for the pensioners those have been have been built but not the the other ones which are the normal sort of uh, housing for for rental Clara. Okay, so um, so you've had that initial um, meeting with the housing minister and, and it's, it was constructive. How do you now uh, progress matters uh, as action for housing and, and how do you strike the right balance between uh, applying pressure where possible but also allowing some space for Ms Orfila as the new housing minister to, to actually get her, her feet under the desk and, and make a difference? Yeah, well, we, we've always worked in a very prudent sort of way. No, we we give the the uh, the uh, minister the ministry the time to develop and evolve their policy, and then little by little, if we don't see any significant progress, then we we tighten the screws. Uh, but I mean, our our aim, our initial aim, is to have a good working relationship with the department, with the ministry, with the minister, and see how things evolve. 
Um, I mean, we don't rush into things widely. We take our time in a prudent, constructive manner, and then we shall see how things evolve. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.